Hello and welcome to the Government Technology Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Tierney, and today we are going to dive into one of the many fundamental challenges facing the modern federal IT landscape, that being cybersecurity in the cloud. With the IT industry now comfortable with the concept of hybrid work and remote work, agencies across the federal space are looking for ways to use the cloud and, more importantly, to incorporate it into the very foundations of the work they do. This task has been often seen as insurmountable as there are numerous legacy systems that remain in use by most federal agencies, new security policies like Zero Trust continue coming down the pipeline, and an ever-changing risk landscape that continues to throw additional challenges into the mix. However, there are those who believe that with proper planning and partnerships, there is no limit to what can be done. Today, we will hear from two such individuals. We are joined by Lamont Copeland, Managing Director for Federal Solutions Architecture at Verizon Business Group, and Don Wiggins, Senior Global Solutions Architect at Equinix. Lamont, Don, thank you both for coming in today. Thank you for having us. And so for our first question, in today's security landscape, what are some of the steps that agencies can take when developing security strategies? And Lamont, we'll pose this first one to you. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, a lot of what agencies need to look at when they first starting their developing their solution strategies, security strategies, are really looking at understanding their workforce, how their footprint of their workforce is, is expanding across the globe, because right now we're outside of the traditional working environment. We know that CEOs are looking at, you know, how do we manage the hybrid workforce and how do we manage the fact of the extended boundaries of where each one of our employees are working out of today. So we need to understand exactly how that footprint looks like from a, a, a personnel standpoint, which will then inform also, too, how and where all of the data is going to be moving between each one of these um, areas and locations. because. With the expansion of mobility, with the expansion of where all the data is, is moving from the end user to the cloud resources and back to the end user itself or to other places in, inside of the enterprise or into other enterprises, really having that clear understanding of how that environment is set up, understanding where your data is going to be moving and could potentially move to and from, and understanding where it resides will then help inform what that strategy will be in, on your security elements and what security architecture you need to be able to put into place to be able to make sure that you're protecting not only that individual, but you're protecting the data of that enterprise that you're working through or the, or the government agency that you're, you're working with. So really, it's really understanding how the footprint of your workforce is, where you think it's going to be moving between, understanding that there is a, uh, now a, a very large mobility aspect and a hybrid working aspect to it, and then also how the data is going to be moving across this environment and be both data at rest and data in motion to be able to then layer on that, what's your security outcomes that you're looking for to be able to then build out that strategy and, and architecture so that you can work with uh, your providers. And so, Don, I'll bring you in. Do you have any thoughts about that question as well? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, so, Lamont touches on a couple of very key um, points here, I think. And, uh, and, and just to sort of um, to tag on to that, you know, I think it's just critically important that organizations take a collaborative approach. Um, so certainly, as Lamont points out, understanding um, where your, um, you know, organization's uh, users are, because nowadays the, it's more the norm that they're uh, geo-distributed. 
Um, so you really have to take into account uh, how that how you can encapsulate that with a security framework, but also ensure performance. Um, but to achieve that end, I think it's really important that uh, an organization um, brings in the proper personas, uh, the network folks, the application folks, the security folks. Um, if, if there's a data scientist uh, group that's involved, um, I, I think taking this holistic view is really important because um, what we're talking about here is in many ways step change for a lot of organizations. So it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to introduce a lot of new ways uh, to, to approach things. So I think having all of those eyes on that and, and collaborating in that discussion um, and weighing all the input accordingly uh, is, is critical to success. So how can agencies make the best use of the cloud? And, you know, a big concern being cybersecurity, are there any ways to secure those cloud connections? And Lamont, I'll uh, throw the one to you first. Yeah, no, there definitely is. And Don touched on it before. It's really the personas and understanding how this data is going to be used and how and who needs to be able to touch these things so that you know how to build out the full architecture end to end for uh, whoever's accessing that data. You want to understand you know, what type of connectivity devices are coming in so that you can then understand, okay, how, do, how does that footprint need to be then made and understood? How do I secure that? And then who needs access to what pieces of data inside of the cloud? Um, who needs to be able to access whether it's an HR file, a program type file uh, for a specific program for a government agency, or there's just an overall view of everything that's happening inside of an enterprise. That will then t understand how we need to be able to set things up uh, inside of the cloud and also the connectivity pieces that are coming into there. And then securing that access going into the cloud, you need to understand what are the different modalities, network modalities that will come into play to be able to connect to that. You're going to now, you're dealing with not just a wireline connectivity piece, which will come in where we're able to then just stick a firewall at the end of it or stick some type of IDS and be able to protect just that wireline connection. But now you also have wireless assets coming into there with the proliferation of 5G, the proliferation of fixed wireless access, on-site networking that's being built into place to then get the those infrastructures and that connectivity pieces out to any many places across the United States or, or globally to be able to give all these end users access to the data that's inside of our cloud services and data centers. You have to take into consideration how all these types of connections are so that you can then have the right security elements put into place not only for that connection, but then also for securing that data that's going over that connection and then securing and protecting the end devices and that user that's touching that data. So really got to look at, again, how all these things are coming into play, understanding that technology is evolving quickly and rapidly, and, and we got to be able to build all these different types of solutions to fit the different types of connectivity pieces and different type of devices that are coming into play but then also understanding the different types of users and then user profiles that we're going to have to then build that go into the, the cloud resources themselves attached to, to um, work with any of that data. And how do we then build those personas to be able to then access the proper data and build the right security model to be able to support the protection of all that data. Uh, Don, any thoughts to add? Yeah, you know, I, I think just to summarize uh, the, the points there, you know, really kind of view this sort of cloud adoption initiative that so many agencies are pursuing today as essentially expanding the logical boundary of their network and uh, over a period of time in continuous fashion, including these, we'll call them subdomains, um, you know, uh, cloud offerings will start there 
um, as a case in point, you know, with, with nuances that are brought about by each, you know, so whether you're, uh, whether you're connecting to AWS or Azure or, or Google or Oracle or the, the many others out there uh, in the digital landscape, uh, I think it's important to understand, um, you know, how, you know, factor in not only the, uh, the emerging uh, technologies and transport that Lamont uh, clearly pointed out, um, but how do you how do you securely and logically integrate these these new emerging subdomains of digital service providers that you're including in your ever expanding uh, logical network boundary for your agency? So uh, I, you know that's a that's certainly a learning process. It's always well advised to get some best practice and, and folks that have done this and have learned from it. But I think as we'll probably discuss here uh, in a few moments. Um, you know, using foundry of a, of a framework for that approach can apply their uh, organizational governance in a structured way um, to do this is, is, is also critically important. So let's go ahead and dive deeper into what you just talked about there, Don. Um, I'm wondering if either of you can provide some examples of agencies that have been able to adapt and utilize the cloud effectively and, most importantly, securely. And Lamont, I think you had something to share, right? Yes, I would say majority of our government clients in one form or fashion are in some different parts of their journey to move to the cloud, whether it's, you know, a hybrid cloud environment where they still have things which are in their own resident data centers and then moving into an AWS or, or Microsoft uh, Azure platform and then having stuff in uh, Equinix at the same time or they're having something where they're fully outsourcing these things. So there, there's quite a few different use cases. And then they're also looking at then how do they marry this data with the the proliferation of the mobile edge computing elements and moving that, that data closer to the end user to where they're working at today. So using that edge computing to tie that back into the the cloud itself, the the, the standard um, cloud service providers into the data centers that are either on, owned by the government or into data centers like Equinix and using the different components to be able to integrate all the connectivity for any of their data to be residing end-to-end or applications to be able to support end-to-end and meet the performance that they need for each one of those users. And, and understanding where that there's these different types of models is really what's going to be driving then how I would then have to secure that because how I need to handle something from a public safety standpoint or things that are working at like the border itself to be able to see how that data needs to be closer to them to make decisions. But they have to be able to protect that and secure that and then utilize that at the edge. Understanding how that use case then fits into somebody who may be sitting inside of the DC metro area and really doing a lot of analytics to be able to support how do I'm going to be able to get new um, services or, or um, opportunities out to the, the greater public to be able to support that. Really understanding how those different users want to be able to interface with the data um, helps drive what those use cases will be. But the government is still working through a lot of that. How do we move and find the right model of, you know, government government used um, data centers versus the 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 public cloud and how then it would be, you know, service each one of their end users. And then once you understand that, then we can be able to build additional security elements and ensure that they're still protected no matter where they're doing their work from and still be able to um, enjoy the, the performance and the outcomes that they're looking for to be able to beat their day-to-day mission set. 
So Don, I'm hoping that you can kind of share some use cases that uh, you and your, your team at Equinix have seen. Um, can you just kind of go into detail about what you've seen agencies doing to adopt these policies and strategies? Absolutely. Um, and, 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 and born from our, our core advocacy is the notion of as you, as you, as you expand your, um, your network uh, uh, boundary into places like Equinix to, to establish cloud connectivity, um, and really the, the, the uh, prevailing architecture now is sort of a hybrid multi-cloud um, architecture that, that continues to emerge. Uh, a couple of the key attributes that are appreciated right away inherently are proximity to those clouds and traffic symmetry to those clouds. And those all play into, uh, you know, a bigger picture um, uh, concerns, you know, as, as you're doing something like this. So um, establishing physical adjacency in a regionally distributed fashion uh, in, in multi-cloud architectures implies that um, an agency has instantiated an edge presence, if you will, at Equinix and can then establish edge to edge uh, and oftentimes sub one millisecond latency, uh, if you will, um, between their, their new customer edge location at Equinix and one or more clouds. Um, that certainly uh, lends to better performance, uh, the ability to, to uh, exercise new use cases that were largely untenable uh, without that adjacency by way of moving larger workloads uh, in transact mode with, with in a multi-cloud environment. And then the symmetry play is also equally important. Um, so uh, what you certainly don't want to do is introduce um, um, a measure of uh, asymmetry in your uh, you know, traffic flows or consumption models, if you will, with clouds and, and user communities um, that exacerbate uh, you know, poor performance. So you, you factor these into the equation um, and they, they position you well for, uh, you know, for, for scale, um, you know, in, in the broader enterprise. Um, so I think, uh, you know, to footstop, uh, a couple of key takeaways here is, uh, you know, cloud adjacency, uh, service symmetry, um, all lend, lend well to, um, to extending a, a secure boundary uh, to sort of encapsulate or incorporate these these uh, new emerging subdomains that you're adding to your your broader agency network. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, Lamont, can you just kind of take us through some of the risks that agencies may face when they expand their agency network boundaries uh, beyond a more traditional fence line? Yeah, no, that, that's a very good question. And it, it stems from a couple different things. Um, there's a lot of things that are out there for you know, security elements from a, a zero trust architecture framework to a secure service edge um, framework um, to be able to, and services to be able to build that out. But to understand and be able to, to leverage all these different um, areas of security, you want to be able to understand a few things about what are the desired outcomes that you're looking for, other than just you want to be able to ensure that you have a zero trust architecture or you want to have a SASE um, architecture built into place to be able to support this. What are the outcomes that you're looking and you're trying to drive towards? And it looks at both not this just the security elements of it, but also the performance elements of what you're expecting for each one of your end users um, to be able to then drive, okay, this is the use case I have. These are the elements which would all fit in to be able to deliver the outcomes I'm expecting from these use cases. And this is how I would then procure some of these architectures. 
um, and, and being able to ensure that I'm protecting the network at the same time, protecting the network, protecting the data, protecting the user at the same time, providing the proper performance necessary for each one of those applications that are out there today. And then it's really key to understand your environment too and understanding where all your assets are, where all the the elements are that are associated with the data that are linking into that data because all these things are interconnected and no matter what you have or what you try to build in the place to if from a zero trust architecture standpoint, from a SASE standpoint, or any of these different security um, frameworks that are being that are being introduced today into the market, you, you can't do that without understanding how all this is looking and how all this being built together and how all your all your your end user devices, all your end users, where your data is residing, how all those things all look and have a good understanding so you can then put in the proper framework to develop that today. And it goes back to what Don said earlier too as well, partnering with the community because this is something that is security is one of those things where it's not built in a silo, it's not going to be built um, without that collaboration between the government, between industry, and all of us getting together to want understand what you're trying to accomplish, how you would like to accomplish it, what are all the options that are be able to put into place. So then you can then extend out that boundary as as far as you would want to from just a, a, a building down in uh, D.C. or a building in New York to wherever somebody needs to be able to support the, the mission set across the globe. So really it's understanding um, what your desired outcomes are, how you want to see the performance, what are you trying to protect, and understanding that full environment so that you can then um, work with uh, what the, what is the right architecture to be able to put into place for uh, delivering service to your end users. So Don, you know, what's your take on all this? Uh, are there any specific risks about expanding beyond the fence line that you think people and agencies should be aware of as they approach, you know, a cybersecurity system? Well, I, I think there's always inherent risks with change. Um, you know, so again, the, the important um, part here is just to really sort of measure twice and cut once, you know, as you, as you start formulating a plan to do it. it it's really a non-trivial exercise to begin incorporating um, nuanced, you know, uh, cloud service provider environments in your, um, you know, underlying uh, security domain um, with, uh, you know, all, all the elements that go along with that, whether it's um, boundary protection, authentication, <laughs> all of which are continue to emerge with new capabilities that are um, adaptive to to what we're talking about here. So you're seeing a, a larger prevalence now of um, federated single sign-on, for example, and multi-factor authentication. Um, you know, and I suspect that that will continue to mature over time as well. Uh, understanding um, uh, have, having, a, having a baseline that's governance-driven with an extensible framework um, that can address existing and, and future um, security concerns is, is paramount. So um, looking at the best practices that are out there in the field today, uh, and there are many folks to consult with, um, customers and service providers alike, um, that are going through this process now. Um, is, is critically important. There's, there's certainly a departure here, um, measured in some cases, substantial in others, uh, from, from uh, the norm uh, in your you know, private enclave environment uh, in your agency data center. 
that you traditionally operated um, for decades. Um, this now implies that you're incorporating in third-party environments. Um, and there are certainly the right tools to do that with confidence. And so that's why we just strongly encourage uh, a partnership and collaboration uh, with the government community so that we can uh, work together to solve for this. So, Lamont, uh, I'm going to come back to you for this next question. You know, there's not really a, a specific security guidance that agencies are told to follow, but they are pointed towards frameworks, frameworks such as, you know, zero trust architecture. Can you just, in so many words, explain, you know, how zero trust can provide a path for agencies to follow and the benefit of following that path? Yeah. So when you you look at, like, for example, what CISA's put out for the the TIC 3.0 framework, which heavily leverages things like the the zero trust architecture. Um, It really is going to come down, I think we've said it throughout this this podcast, that how are we going to work through some of those user stories, those use cases, those expectations that the government agencies are looking to be able to secure their environments? Because there is no one size that fits all for everybody anymore. There is no how do I get this one security stack and, and everybody kind of has to route through that because our applications are different. Our users are different. Um, the user profiles are different. Where the data resides is different too as well. And how um, I access all that data is going to be different. Um, so you really got to go through and work in a collaborative fashion to be able to figure out, okay, what are all the proper elements that need to be put into place for me to build in that architecture? You have the guidance for that, but you do not have all the, you know, it's not going to be as as it was before. We just try to fit everybody into the same box or into the same square. And uh, Don, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I would just say, you know, briefly that um, zero trust architecture implies that, that, um, Uh, No one is trusted, whether you're an external or an internal user of a network, um, and that you're granted the access that is needed uh, rather than carte blanche uh, with a valid username and password. Zero trust architecture goes well beyond um, the traditional relationship that a user had with a network, with providing a, a, a name and a password. Zero trust architecture now evaluates uh, there's there's a broader dimension of each user. So who is the user? When do they typically access the network? And from where? And what type of device? And what resources do they generally access? Um, and if they're accessing the network from a geography that's that's uncommon uh, for this particular user, then perhaps a challenge is warranted. So the the network becomes more cognizant of uh, user behaviors. Um, and, uh, and, and, and a plethora of other attributes, uh, devices, timeframes, geographies, uh, and so forth. So it's, it's more of a holistic view of the interaction between a user uh, and a given network. And, and these are all tools that are being employed today um, to, 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 to become extensible to this uh, you know, multi-domain environment that we've been speaking of. So, Don, I'll actually uh, keep you on the hook for this one. You know, where are agencies headed when it comes to user network relationships? And how can agencies be cognizant of the shifts in the environment and enable best practices designed around them? Yeah, well, I I think this is a great question that kind of helps, you know, summarize uh, the the podcast here, which I I think is, I hope is going to be enlightening for a lot of folks. Um, and, and simply put, I guess I could I could offer an example uh, or an analogy, if you will. Um, 
if you think about uh, being a, a banking customer and typically accessing your bank account through online banking from a given geography, your hometown, um, and then you decide to go on vacation to the other side of the world uh, with your family, and you need to access your bank account from there to access funds, and the bank uh, takes note of a few different uh, nuances in uh, user XYZ as they're accessing their bank account. Uh, they're now doing so from a different time zone. They're doing so perhaps from a different device. Um, there, there's an IP address range that's unfamiliar uh, in its association with this user and their, and their typical access to the bank. So again, it, it alludes to this broader cognizance um, of the user profile. And so the bank would likely challenge uh, its customer in this case, uh, assuming that it is a valid customer um, in, in, a, uh, in a process to derive uh, fact from fiction here. So. Um, I, I think that I think that's a good example of of how networks are becoming and security frameworks are becoming more adaptive uh, to the notion of uh, uh, geographic disparate services service consumption um, and uh, you know uh, frankly the user profile so users now more often than not are mobile in nature and so they are accessing the network from different locations perhaps in different time frames. Um, so it's it's less a static relationship and more a very dynamic relationship between uh, user communities and the network they're accessing. So, you know, the network has to become adaptive and take into account uh, for these evolving changes. And I think that's uh, one of many examples of, of how we're witnessing that happening today. Yeah, now, Don, I think that is a great example of, of looking at how you look at the different security elements and how you have to look at every single piece of the network and from the end to end to be able to then build out what that persona is and how they're going to access that data. I mean, you're challenging the end user itself, making sure that there's some type of multi-factor authentication that's put into place, that they are who they say they are and that they, that they truly are the person that should be accessing, the, accessing this data moving that then into a different level into challenging the devices that they're using and seeing, okay, is that device part of a trusted network or something that you as the end user should be on there once you validate who that user is. And then, you know, protecting then that data stream that's coming from that device and making sure that it's going to where it should be going to get to the data. There's no nothing that's compromising that data stream. Um, so looking at, you know, how do I then either put in some type of encryption modules in place, either on that end device or on that um, you know, that, that user to be able to go to that data within the cloud and, and knowing that it's uh, protected inside of that cloud and then that the cloud instances, that, you know, there's different factors that are built into the cloud services and into the application to be able to show that's um, protected too as well. So all these things are being looked at from that persona standpoint, from that use case standpoint and stepping through each one of these and how that user, the network, the devices, the cloud, the applications, all these things work in, in harmony to be able to ensure that you have that protected experience from end to end um, and understanding in different elements where you then adding on that layers of security to be able to ensure that the data is not compromised in any form or fashion. So great analogy, I would say, just to show just from a day-to-day -day life standpoint, of, uh, which is applicable to our, our government agency on how you have to look at the user and they're tied to the data and they're tied to the network and tied to the cloud services that how we're going to protect them and ensure the performance of that 
that service is there for them. Is there any final thoughts from either of you you'd like to get across to our listeners? I had one point to tag on, uh, and, it, and it has uh, much to do with the, the last question presented. Um, so you might wonder, well, how, you know, so the, the construct of that framework seems sensible enough, right? When you look at how um, we're going to continuously pursue new ways to um, check all of those <laughs> respective boxes um as that as that relationship continues to mature holistically between a user and a network and so you start thinking about well how are what are some of the tools that we might put into play to enable us to do that and there's some observations i've made here at equinix where um there's been a a, a measurable uptick in the use of um, artificial intelligence and machine learning as a as a uh, integral part of that process so think of ai ml um as a uh as a child uh that continues to learn um with with the adult doing most of the thinking in early days and then through the middle part of its life sort of a shared um um you know cognizance or understanding and decision making process and then ultimately uh more of an autonomous capability where this AIML capability um will have learned um through trending and analysis on these behaviors that we were speaking of earlier um, and be able to make uh, very important decisions based on that learned behavior. So, you know, why AIML? Well, I think the answer is really simple, uh, scale. So if we use the banking customer um, as an analogy, we're not talking about, you know, hundreds or thousands, but but millions or tens of millions of users in some cases. And so um, the only real way to address that scale, um, you know, with this new, this new emerging practice is to implement tools like AIML. So I think that, that uh, uh, there's certainly more to come on that front, I think was well worth mentioning here. Yes, and I, I totally agree with you, Don, on there. I mean, and, and there's going to be a, a large proliferation of that, whether it is something that is resonant with the end user or things that are just part of our services that we put out in the and to be able to support each one of our customers and each one of the things that we uh, deliver to the end user on a day-to-day -day basis. I know here at Verizon, we look at a lot of how AIML will then impact how resources are used with the 5G network and how do we then pull that and associate, you know, the management of all the resourcing on the edge compute, on the, the cloud services themselves, the network resources that are leveraged to be able to then support the end user itself. It'll look at how you protect them. How do you then make sure the right resources are available to them? How does it scale appropriately based off of the needs of that end user and the needs of that application, how it brings all those things together? And that's something that's not going to be done just with the end user or with uh, as a managed services, that's something that's going to be part of that, which is going to always be constantly learning based off of the behaviors of the end user, behaviors of the application, and behavior of, you know, the all the different elements that are built into that use case. So long story short, yes, AIML is going to be a, a, a long, here to stay, make sure it's it's going to be associated with how we build out these reference architectures, how we build out the security elements, how we build out the the, the network itself, how do we get all the connectivity end to end to be able to ensure that the, the user is seeing the proper experience or experience having the proper experience to be able to support what they're doing day to day. Uh, but the key part about this is will be 
we will be able to bring all these technology together. It's going to be how do we all work together in the sandbox to ensure that we're delivering the best experience for those end users. So having that constant back and forth and understanding of what you're expecting, how we can then bring all these technologies together will be crucial for us to be able to ensure that we bring the right security elements, the right cloud services, right networking components, right AIML to be able to you know, have a positive experience. Well, Lamont, Don, thank you both again for joining us today. As always, your insights are greatly appreciated, and I'll look forward to our next conversation. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Our uh, our friends and partners at Verizon, we, we're lockstep uh, on a number of different fronts, and uh, I always appreciate these opportunities to collaborate and uh, you know help educate the uh, user community out there. So um, thank you very much. Yes, agreed. And thank you very much for taking the time out and listening to us today. I mean, it's always awesome to partner with Equinex. There's a lot of things that we uh, work together on and, and build and support our government community. And we're very proud and honored to be able to be of a, a service to you guys. So thank you very much for the time and thank you for having us today on this call. And thank you to our listeners. To learn more about the best practices, lessons learned, and proven strategies for using innovative technologies to address the biggest challenges faced by federal, state, and local governments, visit governmenttechnologyinsider.com. I've been your host, Kevin Tierney, and until we talk again, so long.